Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, New Covenant. All right, left side. Stop being so friendly over here. Let's go. Out of curiosity, while you're mingling, how many of y'all are picture takers? Like you take pictures of everything, like everywhere you go, like you're those people that you spend more time taking pictures to remember the memories than you do making the memories, you know what I mean? How many of y'all are still old school enough to where you actually carry some pictures in your wallet? Oh, yeah. You guys aren't even old back there. What's going on? I was going to say you're old. Uh, I, I remember looking not long ago as we were packing some stuff up in our house at old wedding albums. And looking back and going, man, I remember that day like it was yesterday. What an awesome day that was. But all that to be said, did you all know that you carry around with you a picture of God as well? And depending on how big your picture of God is, that will radically determine how you worship him and then the type of life that you live, which really go hand in hand because worship is a lifestyle. If you all remember in scripture, the word worship is the Greek word proskuneo which is two words that the Greeks love to just wedge together. They'd oftentimes do that. So they'd take the Greek preposition of pros, which means straight or towards, and then they take the word kuneo, which means I kiss, and it carried with it the idea of kissing the feet of a king or kissing the ground that that king walked on. And I wonder, as we live our daily lives, do people see us kissing at the feet of the king? Do they see a life that honors and glorifies the Lord uh, above all else? What we're going to take a look at today in Revelation 8, verses 1 through 13, and in the last two verses of Revelation 9, are going to seem maybe a little bit frightening, maybe a little bit gruesome, but I don't want us to miss it. Even in the midst of judgment, God's grace and God's mercy comes through as well as his power. So we're going to see just how big our God is today. We're going to see just how powerful he is today, which should radically affect the way we live. We're also going to see that God is so big and so powerful and so just that he has to punish sin, and he will do that. And we're going to get a little minor taste or a little minor look of what hell will be like, but we're going to see it on the earth as he pours out his judgment. But even in the midst of all of that judgment, we see that God is gracious and merciful. He even uses the pouring out of his wrath to bring people to himself. He wants to get the nations at a place where they're falling on their knees and worshiping him. But what we're going to discover this morning is that while there are some that do, and I'm looking at some of your faces right now, this is a remnant there's a huge majority that will not repent of their evil doings, their wicked deeds. And therefore, God is going to give people exactly what they've been asking for. Now, again, I want to encourage us that as believers, it's a good thing that God is going to deal with sin and evil in the world. We don't want that running rampant forever. So if you would, again, just out of reverence for our king, would you stand with me? I'm going to go Revelation 8, 1 through 13. And then we're going to skip over to, to chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, and you'll see why we're doing that in just a minute. John starts recording for us in Revelation 8, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. 
And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." The angel blew his trumpet, and third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. We'll look at those next week, but let's look at verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor do they repent of their murders or of their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or their thefts. You can have a seat, King. One overarching idea or one big picture that Jesus gives us through the hand of John here is that our view of God is going to determine the worship that we give him and the life that we live for him. Let, let me say that again. Our view of God and how big he is is going to determine the type of worship that we give him and it's going to determine the type of life that we live for him. Some of you all might know the name A.W. Tozer, the great theologian who's written some great works and one of the things he said that I have clung to for a long time is what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. Let me tell you what my prayer has been this week for our congregation. I love to read through passages over and over and just pray and pray about what God wants to do with it. But one of the things that I have prayed for New Covenant is that when we walk out of this place after this morning, we will have such a high view of our God. We will have such a, a view of our God being so big that we can't help but telling others about him and being changed by that. That's what I'm hoping for. So let me ask you right now, what's your view of God? How big is your view of God? How would you describe him to somebody that knows nothing about God Almighty? Because I have to be honest and confess that I think at times my view of God has been way too low, and then that dictates how I live. See, my view of God will dictate whether I live in courage and boldness, not because of who I am, not because of slick talking or good looks or any of those things. It has everything to do with how big God is. 
and how amazing God is and how much he wants to live through us. So what I'd like to take a look at this morning is how do I give God the worship that he deserves? Well, it's kind of a loaded question because to be honest, we don't. He deserves so much more than we could ever give. But as we attempt to live up to being more and more like Jesus, which again, we will never be just like Jesus, but as we strive to live more like Jesus and so give God the Father the worship that he deserves, what does that look like? Well, look with me at Revelation 8, 1 through 6 again. We're going to break this down in two parts. Revelation 8, 1 through 6, and then Revelation 8, 7 through 13 will give us the answers to how we can get a little bit closer to being more like Jesus and giving God the Father the worship that he deserves. Here we go. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a gold censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. One of the first ways that we give God the worship that he deserves is we bow in silence before him. And then we rise in reverence before him. Bow in silence first and then rise in reverence. Let me explain where that comes from. Going back to verse 1, it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. All of heaven has gone into this great hush. And they're just waiting to see what God is going to do next. I'm sure there was a little bit of reverent fear for what was going to be next. Because remember, the seven seal judgments have already been poured out. They've already seen what God is capable of. And so there may be this reverent fear. Now, we always tend to equate fear as a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I have wanted my girls to be afraid of running into the oncoming traffic when they were little kids. I want them to be afraid of taking metal forks and sticking them into outlets. Those are things that I want them to be. I want them to be fearful of touching a hot pan on the stove. I want them to be fearful of their daddy in a good way. Now, I know I probably shouldn't even ask this question because some of us all might get sued just for answering the question, but if you want to be bold for Jesus, how many of y'all can remember as a child being spanked? Like spanking still happened. How many of y'all can remember actually you spanked your children? Oh, thanks for being bold. You could all go to jail today. I spanked mine a lot. That's why they're so good now. I just, not that I got any pleasure out of that whatsoever. You know that whole thing of this is going to hurt you or it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? What a load of hooey. It hurt them way more. And it's a good thing. Look how they turned out now. Now they are just great young women for Jesus. I'm super excited. Bow in silence, rise in reverence before him. I'm thinking of that silence for a moment where have you ever, when you were about to get your spanking, had mama look at you? And she wasn't going to spank you, but dad wasn't home. So she's like, go to your room. And when dad gets home, he'll deal with you. And the anticipation of waiting for dad was almost worse than the spanking itself. Any of y'all remember those days where you were told you'll be dealt with later and you're just like, just get it over with. But your parents using good, solid psychological warfare (laughs) knew how to get to you. Well, listen, 
God kind of does the same thing here in Revelation chapter 8. I'm going to make you all wait for 30 minutes in absolute silence. And can you imagine all of heaven just kind of holding its breath? What is God going to do next? What is going to happen next? Maybe a little bit of excitement, maybe a little bit of fear. Look at verse 2. It says, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Don't miss this. We, we might read right past that and, and miss some really important lessons here, but it says the seven angels who stand before God, they're right where they're supposed to be. They're standing at the feet of their creator. What a great place for us to be, standing at the foot of the throne, just waiting for God to tell us what to do next. And I noticed a few things about these angels. They were prepared, they were available, and they were immediately obedient. Could you imagine if we lived out those things? Are you prepared to share the good news of the gospel message? Are you prepared to stand at the feet of God and wait for what it is that he tells you to do next? The next thing I think of is, are you available? Are you one of those people that's available to be used by the Lord? Or are we just too busy? And maybe, God, I'll start to serve you after I graduate. God, maybe I'll serve you after I get married. Just wait till I have kids, God, then I'll serve you. God, just give me till retirement, then I'll serve you. Encourage your little ones now to start serving Jesus. I don't care if they're little babies two, three years old. Let's start encouraging them to follow Jesus now. Let's start to walk them through Scripture as little ones so that when they do become older, they're already prepared, they're already available, and they're already obedient. Look at verses 3 through 6. So you've got these prepared, available, obedient angels who do what? Well, here we go in verses 3 through 6. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, he filled it with the fire from the altar, and he threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Note a few things. First of all, this passage has a stark, stark Uh, resemblance to what happened with the Old Testament priestly service in Exodus chapter 27. Let me encourage you, if you're a note taker, jot down Exodus 27 and go back and read how the priests did their uh, holy acts of service. This was a symbolic type of worship where prayers of the people are going up to God like burning incense. It was in a censer, which is a bowl, or it's a fire pan. It's designed to hold live hot coals. And it's interesting to note that this censer that holds these hot coals, which are symbolic of the prayers of the saints, is also golden. A couple of things to be learned from this passage. One, the fact that it's golden tells us that what's in it has great worth and that it itself is of great worth. Well, what's in the bowl? The prayers of the saints. You know what that tells me about our loving God? He loves the prayers of his people. And he even keeps them before him. If you've ever wondered, does God hear any of my prayers, go back to Revelation chapter 8. He's keeping them in this golden censer, this golden bowl. And they're rising before him. Dr. David Jeremiah wrote a great book called Prayer, the Great Adventure. And in Prayer, the Great Adventure, he writes that it isn't that God can't work when his people don't pray. 
He oftentimes just chooses to wait until we do. God can do whatever he wants, when he wants, but oftentimes he waits for his people to come to him in obedience and in prayer. Well, another thing to note is that there seems to be this connection between the prayers of God's people going up and the judgments of God going down. Remember, the same golden censer that carried the prayers of God's people up to him is also the same censer that gets filled with fire from the altar and then gets thrown to the earth. It's the exact same censer. So once again, is there something to be said about the importance of being in prayer? I've heard people say to me, why should I pray? Does it really change anything? God already knows what he's going to do. Man, that is a, that is a full statement. <laughs> yes, God already knows what he's going to do. Nothing can thwart his plans. However, we're still told to pray, and oftentimes when we do, that's when God chooses to work. Now, remember in chapter 6, if we go back to that, there were those that were martyred for their faith in Jesus. And what did they pray? God, would you avenge our deaths? And thus the censor now becomes the instrument of both receiving those prayers and then God vindicating those that died for him. If you've ever wondered, if I have to die for Jesus, would it be worth it? And is he going to do anything about it? And the answer that we read in Revelation 6 and in Revelation 8 is absolutely yes. Now, this section ends with seven angels ready to unleash a whole new series of judgments upon the earth. They're getting ready to blow their trumpets. And this blowing of these trumpets, these judgments that are being poured out, it should, it should cause people to radically change the way they think, the way they live, their view of God. But as we're about to see... While a few might actually turn to Jesus, most, because of their sinfulness, become extremely hard-hearted, and it doesn't change the way they live their lives. Makes me think of what we've experienced just maybe in the past 20 years or so of human history. September 11th of 2001, many of you all remember that day. That was only a few months after my wife and I got married, and we're watching the news, and these terrorists are flying planes into the Twin Towers. For a couple weeks following, our churches were packed. Give it a couple months, and attendance was actually lower than prior to 9-11. And you're reading of all these people that are blaming God. During COVID, you had people after a while just crying out for being together with other people. And when the bands and things got lifted, you saw our churches get fairly packed for a while. Then all of a sudden they begin to turn to false gods like the gods of science and the gods of Moderna and Pfizer and Fauci and all of these other things that couldn't help them. So let me encourage you, gang, don't bow in silence or rise in reverence to anything other than God Almighty. He is the only one that deserves to have us fall down on our knees in silence before who, before who he is and then to stand up and be prepared, be obedient, be available to be used by him. Gang, are we ready? Are you up for being prepared? Are you up for being available? Are you up for being obedient? This is the second service. You've got to be more lively, right? Amen. Let me move us to verses 7 through 13, the second half of this passage, that they're about to blow their trumpets. Here comes the judgment. Here come the things that should cause mankind to cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. We're going to find out what they do say. 
The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew its trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew its trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Here is another way that we can bring God the worship that he deserves. Recognize God's wrath and respond with holy fear recognize that God has wrath that is going to be poured out upon the creation that he made because it rejected him and rebelled against him. And then we should respond with holy fear. Some people have asked me, when you preach this passage, pastor, are you trying to scare me? Of course. We should be a little bit afraid of who God is and what he's capable of. Now, let me make sure that I'm I'm portraying this clearly. God is not like the pictures you see in cartoons of this old man with a lightning bolt just waiting to strike you dead. In fact, here's what I love about Scripture. In the book of Psalms, it says, precious is the death of one of God's saints in his eyes. Why is the death of one of his saints precious? Why would God say that's precious? Because our soul is released from a sin-stained body that will now be with the Lord in heaven forever. But on the flip side of that, it says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Because when they die apart from Jesus, their soul is separated from him forever in hell. We don't talk a lot about hell in the church anymore. We've got entire denominations that have written hell off and said, well, since fire consumes things, I think people go there, they get burned up, and then that's it. It's not actually eternal or forever. The problem with that analogy is that if you read all throughout Scripture with what Jesus said, the prophets said, and the gospel writers said, their worm never dies and their fire never goes out. Hell is a real place where real people will spend a real eternity. And I say that because that should bother us. It bothered Jesus, the creator of the universe, that those that he made were going to hell without him. You know how I know that? Because he went and he looked out over Jerusalem. And what did Jesus do when he looked out over Jerusalem? He wept. And what did he weep over? The unbelief of the city, if you read that passage in context. Let me give you another time where Jesus wept. There's at least three different times where Jesus wept, but another one is where Jesus shows up at the tomb of Lazarus. And he gets there, and Lazarus is dead, and then it says Jesus wept. What did Jesus weep over? Well, I don't think it was the death of Lazarus, to be honest. You know why? He just said right before he went to the tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me? Even though he dies, he will live. So I can't fathom that Jesus was weeping over the death of Lazarus. You know what he was weeping over? Again, if you read that in context, Jesus was weeping over the unbelief of all of those that didn't believe that Jesus could actually raise the dead. Jesus' heart was broken over unbelievers. Let me ask us, New Covenant Church, when's the last time we stepped outside of our front doors and we noticed the neighbors to our right and to our left and across the street that don't yet know Jesus and just wept over the fact that if today was their last, we would never see them again.
Well, wrath begins to get poured out. We get a little taste of what hell would be like for those that don't trust Jesus. We get a little taste of it on the earth with some of the things that get poured out. We see in that first judgment, that first blowing of the trumpet, a plague that is extremely similar to the seventh plague in Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 35. Y'all remember where Moses raises his staff to the sky just like God told him to and then God sends hail and he sends lightning and he sends thunder. Well, this plague in Revelation 8 is going to be very similar and it's going to result in one third of the earth being burned up. It's going to have devastating effects on industries such as lumber and farming. Think about how many trees and how much vegetation are going to be destroyed and if y'all study science at all, Much of the oxygen that we are able to breathe is due to the work of plants and trees. When a third of those get destroyed, how many uh, lives are also going to be lost due to all kinds of health and medical issues? And this is just a small taste of what's going to happen to those that reject Jesus. But God is moving slowly and incrementally in his judgment so that people have time to repent. Again, all the while, you're going to see God's grace and God's mercy. But notice, he pours it out upon the very things that he created. And here's what's interesting about God pouring out his judgments upon creation. Have you noticed that a lot of people worship creation today? And God says, why would you worship the very things that I made? Now, I'm all for protecting the environment as a good steward of what God has made and blessed us with. But mankind has taken that to a level of idolatry. And we now call nature our mother. And we worship her as mother nature. Nature is not your mama and King Kong is not your daddy. Just so you all are aware of that. Just to be completely clear. Nature's not your mama. King Kong's not your daddy. God the Father is the one that made you. And he made you the way you are as a human being, as a male human being, and as a female human being to bring him glory and to bring him honor. That's the God that we serve. You did not come from an ape. You did not come from a single-celled organism. You are not a random chance accident. Everything did not spring from nothing. You serve the God of the universe who made all things. And because of the fact that mankind has turned its worship onto the wrong thing and now worships the creation and the creature instead of the creator, God's going to pour out his judgment upon that and go, hey, look, this is what you want to worship? I'm going to take it away. But I'm going to do it slowly and I'm going to do it incrementally so that you have time to turn around and worship me and stop worshiping animals. Stop worshiping false gods. Stop worshiping the creation. Let me move on to the second angel. In verses 8 and 9, it says, The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. This second judgment is likely a huge asteroid, because asteroids are literally like fiery mountains that are hurtling through space, and it's going to hit the sea, and a third of the sea is going to become blood, Now, this could be from a massive amount of death that's caused by the asteroid when it hits the sea, or it could be a supernatural phenomenon as God did with the Nile River in Egypt. I don't know which. Scripture doesn't tell us clearly, but what we do know is that a lot of the sea is going to turn to blood. 
Either way, this is just going to be a precursor of what's going to happen with the second bowl judgment in Revelation 16, 3 through 6. In Revelation 16, 3 through 6, every creature in the sea is going to die. All of it, not just a third. But for right now, starting with these judgments, a third of the sea is going to be turned to blood. And a third of the sea's ships are going to be destroyed. Think about that. This is naval ships. It's cargo ships. It's cruise ships. It's fishing vessels. That means that there's going to be this tremendous loss of life just from those that are going to die in the sea. And there's going to be major economic disaster. If any of you all study economics, right now there are still countries in the world that are 100% dependent upon imports. And much of which are naval imports or sea-bearing imports. What's going to happen when much of that is cut off? People by the droves are literally going to die because of no economic income and no food coming in. We'll move on to Revelation 8 through, or I'm sorry, yeah, Revelation 8, 10 through 11. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. I've heard crazy things about this star that maybe it was an angel or maybe it was a demon. I don't think so. I think it was actually a meteorite and the reason it gets the name Wormwood is because it turns all the waters into Wormwood. Now if you want to know what in the world is Wormwood, well just let scripture teach you. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3, and Lamentations chapter 3, verse 15, both speak of this bitter shrub or this poisonous shrub called wormwood. What happens with wormwood is if you ingest it or you even get it in your, on your skin and then you touch any portion of your mouth or your nose or your eyes and it gets into your system, it will put you into this euphoric, drunken-like phase that feels kind of good for a little bit, but then what happens is slowly your insides begin to seize up, predominantly your lungs, then you stop breathing and you die. Man, this would have been a great Mother's Day message. Can you see why I skipped it? There's a reason why I I did did something different. I'm going to move on to the fourth angel. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night. Well, it's interesting. The first three trumpet judgments were on the surface of the earth. Now God turns to the skies, and next week, it's going to be all on people. Again, can you see the progression? I'm starting with the earth. I'm going to the skies, two things that much of mankind has worshipped, the aligning of stars, the aligning of planets, psychics, mediums. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to show you that none of them have any power. I'm going to show you where all the power lies. And I'm going to use that again to bring people to myself. And why is he doing that? Well, let's talk briefly about two of the things that have just been attacked. Water and light. Two things that we absolutely need for life and two very prominent names of Jesus. He is the living water and he's the light of the world. You want to reject the living water? Then I'm going to take away living water or water that brings you life. And if you don't accept the living water soon, you're going to really miss out on life. And then what about the light of the world? Well, you've rejected him, so I'm going to take away your light so that you can see what it's going to be like. Just a little taste of what it's going to be like without him. 
Then in verse 13, it says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. God has used animals in the past to communicate. Multiple times. It's kind of sad to me, but God even spoke. Remember through Balaam's donkey? God spoke to this man through a donkey. It's interesting to me that we've got people that are dumber than a bird and an ass. I've just always wanted to say that in church. Sorry. But this eagle makes mankind aware of the fact that there's more coming. So just like Balaam's donkey made Balaam aware, hey, hey Balaam, if you don't get something straight here, God's going to punish you. So God speaks to this donkey, but then he speaks through an eagle. And he says, hey gang, listen up. Yeah, the first four trumpet judgments were bad, but just wait until the next three come. So in rounding out our time together, I want to take a look at how people have responded to this. How did the people respond? Well, we're going to look at the, the next three trumpet judgments next week, but you're going to see the response to all the trumpet judgments is simply this. Chapter 9, Revelation 9, 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. How did they respond after seven seal judgments, after seven trumpet judgments all being poured out upon, upon, upon mankind? How do they respond? I still don't want you, Jesus. I don't care what you bring my way. I don't want anything to do with you. Well, I am thankful that there is a remnant of people that have said, Jesus, I want to follow you wholeheartedly no matter what comes my way. I don't care how bad things get on this planet. Jesus, I want to get closer to you even in the midst of catastrophe. So again, if you're note takers, how do I get closer to Jesus even in the midst of catastrophe? If things keep getting worse, are we still going to stick close to Jesus? As individuals, as families, and as a church body, will we stick close to Jesus? I'm praying that we will. So I'm going to give you three things that we can do to help us stick close to Jesus. Number one, remember that God is in the midst of it with you. You're never on your own, and that's never going to change. Psalm chapter 23 is written by King David, who's oftentimes in the middle of war. Or if you'll remember, before he became king, Saul tried to kill him. After he becomes king, his own son Absalom tries to kill him. He's outnumbered. Israel is almost always smaller than any army that comes up against it. They should have been wiped out numerous times. And yet, what does David write? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. How much evil did David fear? He says none. We should fear none. Remember that God is with you in the midst of all of it. Here's the second thing. Resolve to honor him in the midst of it. Just like Jesus. Jesus went through torture beyond what we could ever imagine, and yet he did it with joy. Why? Why in the world would Jesus go through what he went through when he could have enjoyed perfection in heaven without ever having to leave? I don't know if we know this or not, but Jesus didn't have to save us. Did you know that? He wasn't obligated. As the second person of the Godhead Trinity, of the creator of the universe, he had no obligation to save us 
from our sin. He could have said, go ahead and wallow in it and die in it. But instead, this is what we read. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How was Jesus able to go through such torture? He looked ahead at the joy that was to come. Gang, let me encourage you. Yes, things might be bad here on planet Earth. Things might be bad at times in Albuquerque. But we have a joy that is set before us that nobody can take away ever. Because one day we are going to be in heaven with the Lord. And I keep telling you this, I'm going to keep reminding you, I can't wait till we get to about October, November, when we start to get towards the end of Revelation. You get to see all of this come to fruition. And we get to see Jesus dealing away with and vanquishing all evil, all sin, all death, all mourning, all pain. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we're going to get to celebrate in the new heavens and the new earth. I can't wait. That's going to be exciting. And then here's the last thing. Recognize that God is teaching us eternal lessons from the book of Revelation. He's teaching us eternal lessons about the horrors of hell and the wonders of heaven. We should not wish for our worst enemy to be in the lake of fire separated from God forever. We should have a deep desire, just like Jesus did, to have people in heaven with him forever. Listen, if you will commit to these three things... If you will commit to remembering that God is always with you, resolve to honor him in the midst of all trials and recognize that God is constantly teaching us and working on us, it is then that we will begin to give God the worship that he deserves and we will live the life that we should live. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come before you and while we will never give you the worship that you fully deserve, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would live through us and that our lives would be one of perpetual praise that our lives would be one of daily worship, that we wouldn't think of worship as just singing some songs or going to church on Sunday, but we would remember that to bow before the Lord, to bow before our King, kissing at His feet is something that we are called to do moment by moment. And so, Lord, may we do just that. Lord Jesus, would You be the one that empowers us to give You the worship that You deserve and to live the life that we should live that brings you honor and glory all throughout Albuquerque, New Mexico, the United States, and throughout the world. Lord, until you either call us home via death or you call us home via the rapture, Lord, may we continue to get to know you more and more and to make you known everywhere we go. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all pray together. Amen. Amen. Gang, we've got quite the task at hand. We've got quite the task this week, and that is to go out and to make Jesus known. The only way we're going to do that is if we get to know him. I just want to remind you all of something. Um, On our website, we've got multiple different resources. One of them is a Bible reading plan and a book reading plan. 
That Bible reading plan will prayerfully help you to see Jesus on every page of Scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. I would encourage you, check that out. Use it for all that's worth, worth if you already don't have something that you're doing for your devotions. It's not dated, so you don't need to worry about trying to catch up, thinking, we're May 21st, and if I have to start in January 1st, I've got to catch up with 98 days right now. No, you don't. Just, just start at day one, because it's not dated, and just start getting some time in God's Word, spending time with Him, and I will make you a promise because it's not from me, it's from the Lord. The more you get to know Jesus, the more that you will want to make Him known if you're getting to know the real Jesus of the Bible. Anybody just fired up this week about getting to know Jesus and making Him known? Because if you are, right now you're not being dismissed. You still get to leave. You're being sent on mission. Go and give Albuquerque Jesus, gang. Have a good week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.